Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. Because as long as you care what they think or what they say or what they do, you're going to be completely tied to them still. And vibrationally, they're going to feel that. So wipe them from the CPU of your life. You no longer care. You've moved on. Just keep walking and do not look back. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. So let's talk about what happens with the narcissist realizes that life sucks without you. It's kind of a funny thing because, you know, I've dealt with narcissists in my life, unfortunately, which is why I have such a huge mission for this. Uh, I've dealt with them in my law practice, but I also dealt with them in my personal life. And so that's why I, I know and I understand the drama, trauma, and chaos they cause. And here's the really, the narcissist paradox. That is that they, they, they treat you like crap. Like the whole time they're, they're doing all kinds of horrible things to you, very abusive, mind games, passive aggressive, actually aggressive uh, the whole time. And then you are finally like running away from them and try to get the hell out of there just to like save your sanity and preserve your soul and then they they turn around and they they go oh why did they leave oh i can't actually live without them i i need them back you know and so what happens when they realize that life sucks without you well first of all i'm going to tell you all of this but i want you to know that you don't go back there i mean if you've successfully gotten the key the golden ticket and you're out of there and they're leaving you alone Thank Jesus and never look back. You know, you, that's what where everybody wants to get to, honestly. I mean, you don't want them back in your space. They haven't changed no matter what it is that they say. They haven't changed. So don't go running back to them. All right, so let me just say that at the beginning. Like they haven't changed. They're not going to, uh, regardless of, of what they say or do, just leave it alone. Okay. But now what's happened? You're gone. You're not coming back. They realize you're not looking back. You have wiped them from the CPU of your life, which is what I tell you to do all the time. And now you've actually taken away their source of oxygen. You've taken away their source of food. And that's what we call narcissistic supply. They need an endless amount of supply in order to feel validated, to feel alive. And if they're not going to get it from you in in the form of 
adulation or you doing slaving away, doing things for them and, you know, making them look good, prestige, you know, some form of value that way. Then they're going to get it from you, from devaluing you, debasing you, treating you poorly. You know, they get, they literally do get off on that. And so when they realize that you're not coming back, and that source of supply isn't there anymore. They're going to go through these stages. They're going to go, it's almost like stages of grief, you know, d- denial, anger, bargaining, you know, and, and then maybe acceptance, but probably never really fully accepting. Um, I heard it described one time that they they want to keep all of their sources of supply almost like, people save up jam or something for the winter or something, you know, like people who, um, who uh, have um, jams and jellies and things and, you know, or, or sauces or whatever for the winter, that's what they do. Like they, they you know, they have a, sor- a, force, a source of supply over here, but they also want the source of supply over there and they want it from over here. They really are supply whores. So they're hoping that you'll still be a source of supply for them. If not to, you know, bolster up their ego, at least to bang you around and manipulate you and, 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 you know, cause you drama, trauma, and chaos, at least to do that. I mean, here's the thing. They completely took you for granted while you were around. They treated you poorly. They, they thought it was funny when they, when they got away with doing things with you. And yet they somehow thought that you'd always be around. They somehow thought that you'd, you know, uh, keep allowing that to happen. I just think they don't think it through. They don't think forward and think, well, this person might actually not want to stick around if I treat them badly. Um, Because there's another little paradox that's going on here, which is that they have this massive fear of abandonment. They don't want to be abandoned. They don't want you to actually leave. Um, and, and they do happen to collapse, you know, sometimes, um, which I definitely uh, check out my video on that. What happens when a narcissist collapses? It ain't pretty. Um, but so they, they have this fear of, of abandonment. But okay, so once you leave, um, at first, they're going to line up their flying monkeys. They're going to try to get everybody to triangulate because they're still getting supply from all of this, right? So let me show you how I can make you miserable. Let me show you how I can um, do all of these things to you, you know, and make all, line up people against you and, um, and, and make you jealous and all of this. So they're going to start with that. And then the next thing they're, they're going to go into is try to retaliate against you. Um, and, and try to, you know, their, their rage is going to come out. And so they might try to, you know, blow up your phone and text you 5,000 times and flood you with messages or stalk you. Um, and they, they may desperately try to get you back through love bombing or hoovering. You know, like I said, they want to keep all forms of supply. Um, and so they're going to f- try to figure out a way to get you back into that web. 
Um, so they might even file lawsuits to get your attention, uh, to try to scare you. You're not going to walk away from me so easily. Um, and you know, you definitely want to check out my video on what happens when you go silent on a narcissist. By the way, but then they realize eventually you're not coming back. That's when they're going to struggle. They're not going to have remorse for you and the things that they did for you, to you, but for themselves. Because at that point, they're going to realize, you know, they loved that support that you gave them. They, they needed that. They needed your emotional support. They needed you to do the work for them or make them look good um, or your, whatever contributions you, you, know, you were giving them. You know, whether it's your money or your sex or your ideas or your prestige or whatever it was that you were, that they, the reason why they attached themselves to you in the first place, they're going to realize that it's gone. Uh, and they, they, they're going to be, you know, upset about that, but not because they miss you. It's because they're going to miss what you were doing for them. Remember, I always say they, they didn't attach themselves to you because you have so little value, even though that's how they treated you. They attach themselves because you have so much value. So then what they're going to start doing is they're just going to start like continuing to watch you. They will always be watching you. They'll always be stalking your social media or trying to see what it is that you're up to. Um, it's just so creepy. They're always watching you. I do have a video on that, by the way, like why the narcissist is always watching you because they're so creepy like that. Um, and, and they may be grudgingly, by the way, move on. They, they're going to try to find another source of supply. They have to like you know, slither on down the road and find another source of supply because that's what they feed on. Otherwise, they don't feel alive. So they will go try to find another source of supply, but they're going to miss the supply they were getting from you, especially if it was really good. Um, so they'll keep watching. They'll keep comparing. They'll look to see if you have something new or something better. They love to compare Narcissists are big on comparing. Um, and if you do have something better or bigger or whatever, it's totally going to kill them. They'll be super jealous. They'll, they will hate that. And they'll be stewing. But you, you will no longer care, right? Because it doesn't matter. Because as long as you care what they think or what they say or what they do, you're going to be completely tied to them still. And vibrationally, they're going to feel that. So wipe them from the CPU of your life. You no longer care. You've moved on. Just keep walking and do not look back. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly 
exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bestlife to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bestlife. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the hardest thing for you to take time to do in a day? I know for me, it's anything related to self-care, yet I know it's something I need to do the most. Taking that time to work on my mental health is so important. And that's why I know so many years ago that therapy was one of the best decisions of my life. It's truly been a game changer for me. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, I seriously encourage you to try BetterHelp. It's it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient. It's flexible and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a therapist that's perfect for you and you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Just visit betterhelp.com slash negotiate today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash negotiate. I have heard these gaslighting phrases that I'm going to share with you. I want The reason why I want you to hear them is because I want you to be able to recognize them so you can actually step back as almost like a third-party observer and go, okay, I see what's going on here and actually start to be able to not take these things personally. That way, when you go to negotiate with them, you're actually in a much stronger position. It will help you to heal. You can actually start to to be in that place of getting on the path of creating a life of intention, a life of where you're in creation and not just survival. And that is so important because when you're dealing with a narcissist, you are in survival mode all the time and that defensive mode all the time and in that cognitive dissonance all the time where your your brain just feels like it's so scrambled. But the good news is that you can start to heal, your brain can start to heal. And, and what happens is You've been love bombed and devalued and love bombed and devalued back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. When that devalue phase starts, that's when you start to see the birth of that smear campaign. And the first thing they're going to start to do, especially when you try to leave them, is they're going to start to try to suck you back in, try to pull you back in because they don't want to see that supply going out the door. And so they're going to try to guilt trip you. They're going to get meaner. They're going to get all of those things right away, even if they have been the worst to you. And you're thinking, 
well, you kind of hate me, right? Because they sort of act like that. You've been thinking, you don't even like me. They've been treating you that way the whole time. I mean, you almost feel like it's going to be a relief to them to be gone, but they still have been getting supply from you in some way. They still want you there. So they're going to try to suck you back in. You've got to resist that because that's your soul talking to you. Your soul is saying, I got to get out of this thing. So I'm going to tell you right now, you've got to resist those those guilt trips and the all the things that they're going to try to do to suck you back into that web of toxicity because your freedom and your your health needs that in order to get whole again. I've been where you are. And as long as you're still in that web of toxicity, you cannot heal. You got to start turning it around and it doesn't happen overnight. Don't beat yourself up but for any kind of decisions that you made when you were in that survival mode. Don't feel guilty. Don't allow them to, to put that on you. So step one, don't run. Step two, make a U-turn. Step three, break free. That's what I say. It just it doesn't happen overnight. So one of the things they say, I'm going to just go into these six phrases now, is I'm the honest one and everyone knows it. No one's going to believe you because you're the liar, right? So they try to make it seem like everyone's going to believe their lies. And and that's the first thing that you're going to now start to worry about is that everyone's going to believe their lies and no one's going to believe you. And that's what they're going to try to get you to think. I just said to you in the discard phase, that's when you see the birth of that smear campaign. And so what I want you to do right now is go download my free phrases for disarming narcissists. And you can get that at disarmthenarc.com. Disarmthenarc.com. Free phrases for disarming narcissists. It will help you so much when you're dealing with this kind of craziness. Because they're going to say, I'm the one that's honest. No one's going to believe you. Basically, everyone's going to believe my lies. You've just got to have something to say back, some kind of way to arm yourself. And that's what I want you to have, right? Don't believe that craziness. Just Close your ears, close your eyes, pretend like you've got a little bubble around you because that's not true. So that's number one. Number two is you made me like this. I was never like this. You did this to me. I don't like all this craziness. I don't like to be live this life of drama. You made me crazy. You made me like this. All this happens because of you. If it weren't for you, I'd be calm. When things go flying off and you guys end up having big fights and all that sort of thing, they blame it on you. Again, that's so not true. Most of the time, they're the ones that pick the fights, right? I mean, you're like nice, normal, calm, living your life. And then they go and they pick fights and they do things. And then they turn around and they blame it on you. Be you know, like Teflon, you know, like Teflon Tony or, or Teflon Tennille or whatever, you know? Come up with a name for yourself. That's you. Water off a duck's back. 
You know, like water, like just kind of like rolls off a duck's back. That's you. That's number two. Number three, I never did any of those things. So when you try to bring up that they were abusive to you, that they cheated on you, they were mean to you, all the things that they might have done to you, how horrible they might have been to you, never happened. They'll just flat out deny it, complete gaslighting. You're a liar. Actually, you were the one. You were abusive to me. You cheated, even if you didn't. They'll say that you emotionally cheated or something. They will literally gaslight you into believing that you were the one who did all of those things. I'm going to tell you right now, give up, forget about. I always say like the, the Fs, forget about getting narcissists to acknowledge you. Forget about getting them to admit their sins. It's not going to happen. And in fact, it gets worse when you try to get them to do those things. So they're not going to say that they did those things. And and in fact, they're going to now start accusing you of it. So don't say you cheated on me or you abused me or all of those things. They, They get more and more agitated. They have a deep sense of shame. Narcissists feel more shame and more self-hatred inside than anyone else. And so if you try to bring those things up, it really, really does trigger that narcissistic injury, that limbic system takes over in their brain and that narcissistic injury comes flying out and and that survival mechanism takes over and it takes over right at you. It's like a caged animal almost. They just want to come right after you. It's really a very, very strong defense mechanism. And so they'll just come right after you. It's a survival mechanism. You don't want to force that. It doesn't help you. And it certainly won't help you when it comes time to negotiating down the road. The next one is, especially during this discard phase, especially when they know after they've tried love bombing you and hoovering you and they've tried all the things, you know, come on, I'll take you back. Let's try you know, the guilt trips, they've gotten meaner, you know, they've tried all of the things and none of it worked. When they realize it's actually over and you're actually leaving, then they're going to start to realize, okay, you're the enemy. Because with the narcissist, you're either for them or against them. And if you're against them, then you become public enemy number one. Things with narcissists are very black and white, very black and white. It's called splitting. You're either this or that. There's nothing in between. And so now I have to take you down and you'll have nothing. I'm taking you down. And they feel like that because they don't want to take you down before you can take them down. I'm going to take you down. You will have nothing. I've heard narcissists say things like, you're going to live on the streets. I, You'll have n- no pennies to your name. I mean, they will say things like that. I'll make sure I take all the money. You'll have nothing. If you know anything about marital law or whatever, it's, it's just a bunch of crap. You've got to close your ears. You've got to close your eyes. You don't panic when they say those things. They say these things to scare you, to threaten you, to make you feel hurt. And 
to control you because they're hurt. And so you've got to just stay calm. Don't let your emotions take over. I know it's super hard, but you totally have to do that. And you can, you can do hard things. Such a great mantra, Glennon Doyle. I can do hard things. And once you get through doing hard things, you become such a stronger person. And it is through doing hard things that makes you such a stronger person and makes you realize that you are the better version of yourself. And once you face those fears, that is what makes you braver. And that is what makes you a more courageous person. And you got this, right? So we've got four down. We've got two to go. So the next one is, I never loved you. Uh, So painful when they say things like that. You know, they they want to hurt you. They want to go after like that Achilles heel, that heartstring, that thing that they know is going to hurt you the most. So they say things like that. I never loved you. They did love you in their way. And you just have to take and be grateful for the time that you had together and be grateful for the laughter and the, the good times and and take the lessons that you had for the time that you had together and and enjoy those moments and enjoy the the memories of that. Don't dwell on the things that they're gonna say that they need to say in order to cause you pain because they're gonna do that and be okay with the things that they're gonna say to cause you pain and understand that that's what they're doing. And the same thing for number six. Number six is, I can do much better than you. They're driven by narcissistic supply. They need to feed that ego. They need to feed that feeling of empty space that they have inside of them. They don't feel whole inside. They feel a an H-O-L-E. They don't feel W-H. O-L-E. And that H-O-L-E is black. It's a never-ending space. It's a it's a it's like a sieve that they have to constantly find something to put inside there. And if you keep trying to fill it, you're just gonna feel completely depleted and your soul will be empty forever and sucked dry. So you just have to look at them and feel compassion and send them love and light from afar and understand that that is what's going on. So let's talk about why does a narcissist need to destroy you to leave you? Uh, Or even if you're leaving them. Anything that's regarding the discard phase of a narcissist means that they're gonna try to bring you down, destroy you, out to get you, no matter what. And you think, why? Why does this have to be, you know, destroying? Why, Why can't we just, come to a nice, reasonable conclusion? Well, the answer is, as it always is when it comes to narcissists, it goes back to that whole concept of narcissistic supply. Um, And, you know, supply is anything that feeds their ego. They have no sense of inner self. That is very, very fragile. They're the most insecure people on the planet. And so they have to get all their value from the outside. And they protect it no 
matter what. It's really a survival instinct. It's like, you know, if 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 you live, then I can't. If you survive, then then that means I don't. It, it really to them is like a war, and you're the enemy. Um, I've had to deal with a couple of narcissists myself in my own life, and one of them was a covert narcissist. Or actually, they were both covert narcissists. But in one of them, I, you know, had a situation where I was like, you know, I'm hoping to really. You know, have a peaceful resolution to the end of this relationship. You know, it was a situation where it wasn't working for me in a in a kind of a business setting, and um, I wanted to have a peaceful resolution. And this other person just couldn't do that. They couldn't do that. And why can't they do that? Because they just feel like if you. Uh, are, are happy in your new life or anything like that, then, you know, that's the end of the world for them. So what happens is in the discard phase of a, of a relationship, and if you want to know more of a about the discard phase of a narcissistic relationship, check out my video on narcissistic discarding and what happens there at the end of the relationship. But in that phase, that's when you start to see the birth of the smear campaign. And that's when they start lining up their flying monkeys, start triangulating. And the, the, the discard phase and that smear campaign can happen even long before you think that it's actually the end of the relationship. They're just making sure that if anything ever happens, that you know they're going to be the ones that have the upper hand. So you know when it comes time, for that to happen, that's when you'll start to see them talking to other people. They might start slipping in little things about, you know, you know, this person is difficult or, um, you know, that they're a victim of you in some way. They haven't been treated well, well by you in some way. I was actually just having a conversation with uh, somebody yesterday who I'm going to be interviewing uh, coming up for my podcast and, and for this show. And, you know, he was talking about how crazy it is that, you know, it's normally the empath and you're, you know, you're normally the one who's doing everything for the relationship. You're carrying the relationship. You're basically, you know, uh, 90% of the work and, and all of that, no matter whether it's a personal relationship or a business relationship, it's never equitable. You're always the one doing most of everything and hoping that the other person will eventually appreciate you, will eventually realize how much you're doing and, and how much you're putting into it. And you're, you're constantly walking on eggshells and you're constantly being gaslit and, you know, passive aggressive techniques, you know, being thrown at you and, and your brain is like, you know, scrambled eggs or something. And yet then they turn around and start going to third parties and saying how awful you are and how, you know, much you've, you know, taken advantage of them. And basically all the things that they're doing to you, they go and tell everybody that uh, you're doing to them. And a lot of times, especially if they're a covert narcissist, they're really good at playing the victim and everybody thinks they're so kind and generous and nice because that's how they are to every single person in the world other than the person, the people that are 
closest to them. And so it's really, really um, surprising for for, for those of us who are empaths that, that this is what's going on. And you almost, you're always kind of like a step behind because you don't realize that this is going on. So what happens in a litigation setting is, you know, you empath are over here going, well, let me try to figure out a way to nicely come to a resolution of this case or, or, or of this relationship in some way. Let me figure out what we can do. And, and, this is what happens with a lot of us. I hear a lot of you saying to me, I, I just want this, or I'll just take this small amount. I don't want everything. I'm not going for this part. You know, I don't care about the money. I just want my kids. Or I don't care about, um, you know, all of this other, these other assets. All I want is this or whatever. And, you know, by doing that, what you're, you're, you're just making smaller what, what it is that um, you're going to tell them that you want, and whatever that is, they're going to chip away at that, even if it's the smallest little thing, because it's not about that settlement for them. What it's about for them is making you miserable, continuing to control you, continuing to uh, manipulate you, continuing to intimidate you. All of those things give them narcissistic supply. And that's why when you're dealing with them in a negotiation setting, in a case, whether it's in a business litigation or a divorce litigation or probate litigation or whatever kind of case you're dealing with, you know, sometimes it goes, on for years. You know, I have a private Facebook group. It's called Narcissist Negotiators with Rebecca Zung, which you are very welcome to join. And we'll make sure that we drop a link to that as well. I did a survey in that group and it was overwhelming the response that, you know, I think over 86% of you responded that your cases lasted at least 18 months. Many of you, I think it was 40 something percent said that the cases lasted more than three years. And a, a huge percentage of you said that the cases were very, very expensive. You know, some, many times over a hundred thousand dollars in fees. So, you know, for the those of you out there who are saying, all I need is a good lawyer, that is not the case. Because yes, you do need a good lawyer, but you also need to understand the mind of a narcissist. And that is that they're out to destroy you because they want to get you before you get them. They want to make sure that they're right on top of the fact that you're the one that looks bad and they're the one that looks good because they need to preserve their face. They need to preserve their um, their standing in the community or how they look, their reputation, all of that. And so in order for them, in their minds, to preserve all of that, it can't be equal walking away. You can't just both look good walking away. You have to look bad. You have to look like the loser to them. That's the only way they feel that they can survive, that they can preserve that narcissistic supply that they so desperately need. Okay, and so the last reason why narcissists feel like they have to destroy you is because, again, it goes back to this narcissist 
narcissistic supply idea. And that is that they feel like if you're not going to be supplied to them, then they don't want you to be supplied to anyone. And so, you know, it's, 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 you got to go down. You've got to go down in every single way for every single reason. And so that's why when you are negotiating with a narcissist, it's really important to have incredible strategy, super strong leverage, you know, anticipate what the narcissist is going to do and focus on you and your case. Let's talk about when a narcissist will actually leave you. I know you're like over here hoping, right? But, or maybe you're like worried, I don't know, but when will they actually leave you? So, well, let's talk about why they're actually in relationship with you in the first place, because that's the whole point of it. They attach themselves to you, not because you have so little value, even though they're devaluing you the whole entire time. They really attach themselves to you because you have so much value. They want to suck as much value out of you as they possibly can. They're almost like leeches or you know vampires are sucking that out of you they want that narcissistic supply and if you want to know more about narcissistic supply you can check out my video on that you know they have this endless need to feed this thing inside of them, this beast inside of them. They have this emptiness inside of them that will never be fed. It's like a black hole that is bottomless, you know, and they want you to feed it. You probably, when you first got into a relationship with them, wanted to feed it too. You didn't realize that it was a bottomless pit, you know, that can never be fed. It's a one-way directional spigot. It will never be two ways. And they somehow always figure out a way to get that spigot going this direction and never the other direction, you know. Once you're no longer fueling that and they realize that you're shutting off that spigot or that, you know, that source, then they won't want you anymore. If you're no longer a good source of supply, then they won't want to be in relationship with you anymore. So if you start to stand up for yourself more or whatever whatever that was that they were receiving from you, if that supply source is starting to shut down, then they're no longer going to want to be in relationship with you. So if you start to set boundaries or you start to shut off that money source or you start to shut off whatever that source of supply was that they're getting from you, then they're going to want to shut off relationship with you. And let me tell you, your value to them is in direct relationship with like the ratio is indirect. It's directly related to how much value they're getting from you. I mean, it's it's a very sort of transactional relationship, but it's almost like, I don't know, mathematically, you know, like they get like a thousand out of you, you know, you're going to get like a little teeny, teeny little thing. You know, in other words, as long as they're getting supply, as long as they're getting something, then they'll come back. But if they're not getting anything, then they will not be in relationship with you. And once that supply source, if they don't feel like they're getting what they want, then they're gone and they're gone with nothing, no feeling whatsoever. I mean, and whatever it was that you gave them, there'll be no sense 
whatsoever of thanking, acknowledgement, feeling of gratitude, nothing. There will be no remorse, no apology, no sense of empathy for whatever it was that you gave them. It will be discard, gone, whatever. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take 20,000 breaths a day. And according to the EPA, indoor air is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, up to 100 times more polluted. And data shows that air pollution is responsible for up to 7 million premature deaths globally. I know for myself, my family has struggled with asthma, and so clean air is so important to us, and that's why having a good air purifier is so important to us. So what's the solution. Introducing an air purifier that has captured the attention of media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more, which is Air Doctor, which filters out 99% of air contaminants such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, and all sorts of things. And it even features a whisper jet fan, which is quieter than all sorts of air purifiers. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code YOURBESTLIFE. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value, lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code YOURBESTLIFE. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Forget the grocery store. You can count on HelloFresh to make Everything easy, fun, and affordable, and that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Whether your resolution is to save money, eat better, stress less, HelloFresh is here to help you do all three, and that's why I love their fresh ingredients, their chef-crafted recipes, and you'll love the, the delivery right to your doorstep. Everything is farm fresh. Everything comes right prepackaged to your doorstep, no hassle, no wasted food, and no boredom. You get 45 different recipes to choose from weekly, and you can even add on your market items. They choose, you can, whatever lifestyle you have, keto, whatever it is, you can choose from all of that as well. And what I love is that when it's time for dinner, you just go right to the refrigerator, you can pull it out. And if your spouse likes something different than you like, you can just choose whatever they like, and then you can choose whatever you love. And that's what the, the really great thing is. And especially if you're both working, it's super easy, super convenient, and really, really healthy. So go to hellofresh.com slash negotiate free and use the code negotiate free for free breakfast for life one breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com slash negotiate free with the code negotiate free. America's number one meal kit.
you know, I just want to go through some of the signs that you might start to see that they may be starting to be done so that you can start to see some of that. But, you know, they might start to feel distant from you. You might start to see some sense that they're just always in a bad mood with you. You know, with the with the narcissist, you do start to see that a lot anyway during the devalue phase. But during the devalue phase, they usually are hot and cold, hot and cold, hot and cold. When they're starting to go into the discard phase, it's just always cold, always cold, always cold. They're just always distant, always distant. You know, you start to see that they're just they never care what you think. They're just always gone. They're just always taking advantage, always using you. You know, they're not in any sort of, you know, caring at all or worried. You know, usually if you start to pull back from them at all, like, you know, where they start to feel like maybe you're going to maybe step back, then they start to pull in again and love bomb you and future fake you and do what they need to do to pull you, rein you back in. You don't see that anymore. You know, they they don't really care. Or they might start accusing you of doing the things that they're doing. You know, if they're cheating on you or they're doing things, they might start to accuse you of that so that they're sort of preempting those things so that when the time comes that they are, you know, getting out of the relationship, they want to be ahead of that. You know, well, you were cheating first or something like that, you know, to make sure that it's sort of tit for tat, that sort of thing. And let me tell you, it'll be the best thing that ever happens. So, you know, should you be worried if this person is about to discard you, it's probably going to be the best thing that ever happened. But you do want to prepare yourself, you know. So if you think that this is coming, you do want to prepare yourself. You do want to make sure that you have your documentation in check. You do want to make sure you have everything that you need lined up financially. You do want to make sure that you have a stash of cash. You do want to make sure that you have a place to go, a place to live. If you know, if this is a divorce situation, if it's a business situation, a business partnership, make sure that you have a succession plan in place. You know, you do want to stay two steps ahead of them if you see that this is coming and get a plan in place, okay? You know, if you do think that it's a divorce situation, make sure you watch my video before you divorce a narcissist. Watch this. If you are dealing with this and you're managing this, I have a whole video series on self-care to deal with narcissists. Definitely check that out. And you know, the best thing you can do for yourself is just move on. Now, are you dealing with a narcissist and they've actually discarded you or you've discarded them and they're still completely obsessed with you? And you want to know why in the heck that is? Before I can give you the exact why, I think it's really important that you understand the psyche of a narcissist. So a narcissist has no inner sense of value. They have to derive all of their value from the external. So they're constantly grasping on to whatever they can to get that source of, of supply. 
what we call narcissistic supply. And narcissistic supply is anything that feeds a narcissist's ego, anything that feeds their ego. It could be bad, it could be good, it could be neutral, but as long as it's feeding their ego, then they're grasping onto it. It's seriously like, a predator with its prey. Like they need to have that food. They're gonna grasp onto it wherever it is and they're going to hurt people, anybody who's going to um, threaten that source, okay? So just think of it like a really super hungry uh, animal that's out in the wild and they finally see a food source and they're gonna grasp onto that. And if somebody comes along and tries to threaten that source, they're gonna reach out and, and try to kill them or hurt them in some way because they have to have that, that food. And that's what's going on with the narcissist. They live on it, they feed on it. It's their food, it's their oxygen. And, and it can come in the form of many different versions. I mean, the whole fact that they have no boundaries and that they beef up their you know, egos and, and by saying how great they are and all of that, that's all a form of narcissism. But remember, we all, on some level, want to feel seen, heard, and know that we matter. So it's a continuum. I mean, all human beings have to feel some sort of value, and we all want to have other people notice our value as well. That's just part of being human. What differentiates a narcissist from everybody else wanting to know that they value, that they're valued, is that they have no sense of feeling or empathy or care or love for another human being. They just can't do it because they feel that if they do, it takes away from them. And that means you're taking away that food source, that oxygen source, their, their lifeblood, really. And they don't see, they don't understand it. They certainly have never processed it. It's totally subconscious, but that's what's going on. And so they attach themselves to people just the same as like pods do or leeches do, like because they need to attach themselves to people for food source. They never attach themselves to people in order to give to them in some way. It just doesn't even... They don't process the world that way. It's only what can this person or this situation do for me. And so when you're dealing with a narcissist, you're, you've been dealing with three different phases of the relationship, which are the love bomb, devalue, and discard. And if you want more information about those three phases of the relationship, definitely check out my videos on love bomb, devalue, and discard. During these three phases of the relationship, they can be love bombing you while they're devaluing you and love bombing while they're discarding. They really go back and forth between the phases. And yes, it starts with love bombing it ends with discard, but it, everything's happening sort of all at once in that middle uh, stage. I had um, one of you guys actually commented on my videos. It's like, it's love bomb in the beginning, 
uh, discard at the end and toxic stew in between, and that was a really great way of putting it. So, you know, while you're in the middle of the discard phase, you're still going to be getting love bombed and getting back, going back and forth um, between love bomb and discard, which is sometimes called hoovering, because that supply source is being threatened, and they don't want that supply source to go away. So even if they don't want you anymore and they're telling you, I don't want you anymore and, and they're rejecting you and they're telling you that you're a piece of crap and that you're a speck of dust on the planet and nothing matters about you, well, they obviously must think that there's still some amount of supply they can get out of you if they're still coming back to try to get more and trying to squeeze more out of you. So. That's what's actually happening and why they're still obsessed with you. So if they feel like there's some way that they can still control you, or if they if if you can they can upset you or jerk you around in some way or get you all riled up about something, then that they get supply from that, so they're gonna come back and do that. Even if they like block you on something, well, they do that because they want to get a rise out of you. They want to they want you to go, "Oh my god, why did you block me?" or go back to other people and say, "Why did this person block me?" and they, "Oh, they found out now that you're upset about that." So, the best thing that you can do to get them to stop being so obsessed with you is to just completely go no contact with them and not give them any attention or any information whatsoever and just react to them like by by just blocking them yourself and moving on and acting as if they just never existed in your life. Literally, like you're wiping out that part of your CPU, like that person never existed in your life. That's the only way that they will finally and eventually stop being obsessed with you because they'll finally have to move on and find a different source of supply. They can't be rehabilitated. It's not like they're going to change. They're gonna come back in the form of, you know, drunk text texting you or um, saying that they're sorry or, you know, hoover you in some way by saying, you know, why aren't you responding to me and try to get you sucked back into their weird vortex of craziness. But you, you, you can't take that bait because if you do that, then that obsession with you will continue to just go on and on and on and on and on. So to summarize, the reason why the narcissist is still so obsessed over you is because they still think that there's some shred of supply that they can get out of you. Whether it's upsetting you, jerking you around, devaluing you, degrading you, getting you to pay attention to them in some way, controlling you in some way, whatever that is, that's why they're still obsessed with you. There's some version of supply that they still think that they can get from you and until there's no more supply to be gotten from you, they're gonna continue to be obsessed with you. Even if it seems like they've moved on to their new supply, if they can still get supply from the new one and the old one, even better for them. Because remember, they need an endless amount. It's like this black hole that can never be fed, right? It can never be satiated. So. As long as they still think there's some kind of supply they can get out of you, they're gonna continue to be obsessed over you. 
Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. Every single time you get baited, every single time you get dragged into the mud, that narcissist, as long as you're giving them supply, they're never, ever, ever going to leave you alone. They're never going to be gone because they're still getting that food. They're still getting that lifeblood. They're still getting that oxygen. So they're still going to come around. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life? Whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. That when holidays come along, that you need a survival guide. You need to understand that it's happening, it's coming. They don't want you to be happy. They don't want anybody else to be happy. And they just want to pull you down because they're jealous. And now we return to today's show. Let's talk about the five things that narcissists worry about. And you're going to want to watch all the way till the end because I'm saving the best for last, of course. Number one, the first thing that narcissists worry about is they worry about being forgotten. Narcissists really do not want to be forgotten because of course they want to feel super special. That's one of the things that is really, really important to narcissists. It's actually one of the things that is highlighted in the spectrum of narcissistic personality disorder. If you look at the DSM-5, which is how psychologists and psychiatrists actually look to see if somebody has narcissistic personality disorder, they want to feel like they're special. So being forgotten is one of the most things that they worry about is one of the worst things that could possibly happen to them. They they need to be the center of attention. And they fear that if they're not, it means that they, they kind of disappear because they have no internal sense of value. They get all of their sense of value from external sources. So that's why they're constantly doing things to try to be the center of attention. You know, if they're an overt narcissist, they do things to be boastful, they brag a lot, you know, they overtly try to be the center of attention. If they're more of a covert narcissist, 
They act like the victim. They try to do things that make you feel guilty, that sort of thing. But either way, they're always trying to be the center of attention, even if it makes themselves look bad. Being forgotten is absolutely one of the top things that they worry about. Number two is losing control. They absolutely hate losing control. They must be in control of everything at all times. And how they go about that is, you know, they do that in different ways, depending on whether they're an overt narcissist or a covert narcissist. They definitely want to be in control at all times. This is why they are manipulative. This is why, you know, sometimes they're passive aggressive. Sometimes they use gaslighting. You know, they have all these different ways of trying to be in control at all times. They have their little kingdoms or queendoms, depending on what type of, you know, if they're male or female or whatever. But this need for control is constant. And this is why they're constantly on this hunt for narcissistic supply. Worrying about losing control is something that keeps them up at night, quite frankly. And they, you know, they're super insecure. So, you know, they have trust issues, all of these things. So obviously losing control is a big, big problem for them. Number three is being rejected. They absolutely are very, very concerned about whether or not somebody is, you know, for them or against them. And, you know, for them, everything is black and white. So you are either for them or you're against them. And being slighted is, you know, even if there's a hint of it, a tone of it. I always say that narcissists hear tones like dogs hear whistles. Even if there's no tone, they hear tone. I mean, they're highly, highly sensitive to being rejected. It really comes down to the fact that, you know, they're operating on a an immature, emotionally limbic brain, frankly. And so they need to be loved and accepted by everybody and highly sensitive to the fact that they're not, even if they say, I don't care if these people like me, I mean, they'll say that. They say that all the time. But the fact of the matter is that they very much do. And they'll say, I feel whole, I feel complete. I don't care if anybody loves me. But they are extremely, extremely sensitive to this. And this fear of being rejected leads them to being actually very clingy and needy in relationships. Even if they're rejecting you, they, they'll reject you, but then pull you back, reject you, then pull you back. It's, it's a very hot and cold type of relationship, but that is how they are. They're, they're extremely nervous about being rejected. That is the next one. The next one is they're extremely worried about being alone. They hate being alone. They need people around because that's where they get their narcissistic supply. They get supply from people. So they need people to be giving them that supply. That's where they get the feeding of their ego is from those sources. 
So they they need that. It's it's either going to be in the form of what I call diamond level supply, which is adulation or people giving them that prestige, that sort of thing, or what I call coal level supply, which is controlling people, debasing people, treating people poorly, you know, that sort of thing. But they need to be surrounded by people at all times. And this fear of being alone can lead them to being very codependent on people. And when people try to leave them, they go crazy, stalking sometimes, trying to make you feel guilty. I mean, even after they've treated you so poorly, they go crazy if you try to leave them. It's 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 so crazy, but that's what happens. I mean, they hate being alone. So that's one of their major fears, one of their major worries as well. So that's number four. Now I have led myself up to number five, which is the big one, the most important one, absolutely. And when you are negotiating with a narcissist, trying to get something out of them, trying to create leverage, this is the biggie. This is the most important one. This is the one when you are developing any kind of a strategy, which is all part of my slay methodology, by the way, strategy, leverage, anticipate, focus on you. This is where you're going to build your leverage. Number five is they worry about being exposed. This is the most important one, the thing they worry about the absolute most. They are very worried about being exposed. They don't want anyone to see their true selves. They don't want to be exposed to anyone, including their partners. They don't want to even show their true selves to their spouses, to anyone, because they don't want anyone, they don't trust anyone, they don't want anyone to know who they are. This fear of exposure leads them to live lives of lies and deception and manipulation. And, you know, they'll tell everyone else, you're not trustworthy and you're a liar. They call everybody else these names. But the truth of the matter is, it's they themselves that are not trustworthy. It's they themselves who are the liars. It's they themselves who are projecting and deflecting, who are doing all of the things that they are accusing other people of because they are afraid, deathly afraid of being exposed. And so this is the area that you can actually build leverage around. And in this video, I'm also going to give you eight key phrases to help you shut down those narcissists before they absolutely drive you crazy. All right, so let's get started. The first thing is that you you want to understand that they want you you want to kind of take yourself out of this situation. So the more you can kind of start looking at it 
almost like they're toddlers having a tantrum on the floor, the better it's going to be for you. Because what they're they're trying to do is drag you into that quicksand with them, drag you into that mud with them. And there's a number of reasons that they do that. One is that they get something called narcissistic supply by dragging you into that mud with them. And, and that feeds them, that feeds their ego, it feeds their their inner empty self by doing that. It's kind of like their, I call it their food, their lifeblood, their oxygen. And, and they, that's what they need. You know, it's that, it's that inner emptiness that they feel. And, and by doing that, you know, you're kind of feeding that. And that's why you end up feeling so empty yourself. You know, they call them energy vampires for a reason. And that's, Part of the reason because you end up feeling like you're being sucked dry. I remember when I was dealing with a business partner who was a narcissist, before I even knew anything about narcissism, I used to think, my God, it's like a leech. I just feel like I'm being leached from leached. And I I, I didn't know any other language to use, but I just felt drained, drained, sucked dry, like the life was being drained out of me. And that's why you feel that. So you, you want to understand that you, you've got to figure out a way to create these boundaries to stop that that draining from you to stop that. So the way you've got to start is, you know, I call it step one, don't run. Step two, make a U-turn and step three, break free. You know, that step one is that first step. It's so important to start to look at things almost as a third party, look at things almost as an observer. And, And so that, you know, when you're, when you're using these phrases, you almost have to take the emotion out of it, all right? So that's the first real step when you're using these phrases, okay? Look at it as if you're looking at a child having a tantrum. Look at, looking at the narcissist from an observer point of view and you stop having the emotional reaction. You can go afterwards and scream into your pillow, cry in the shower, talk to your therapist, whoever you need to, and have your emotional reaction afterward. But when you're with them, not have the emotional reaction there because that feeds them. That is what they're they are looking for. That is what they want. The next reason that you don't want to have these emotional reactions is because they will use these emotional reactions against you you know so not only are you feeding that need for supply but you're also potentially going to hurt yourself because what they're trying to do is bait you what they're trying to do is trigger you manipulate you you know and get you to do something so that they can potentially use your emotional reaction against you so and especially if you're in the discard phase of a relationship with the narcissist they want to be able to go oh look there's the crazy one there's the emotional one there's the one that has the problem. 
And if and if you're in a court situation, it happens all the time. And I've seen it with my clients. I've seen it with in situations where on the stand, in situations that were extremely inconvenient, cross-examination, you know, trial, depositions, you know, where you don't want it to happen. Right. And they're very, very good at that, where they look like they're the calm ones, the collected ones, the charming, charismatic ones. And then everybody else in the system thinks that they're the the normal ones, the non-narcissistic ones, the fine ones, the good ones. The other party is made to look like the emotional one, the one with the problem. Because they bait you, they trigger you, they make you look like the crazy person. So you want to be very, very careful about not taking that bait and not allowing them to trigger you. Remember, everything you put your hand to is a potential trial exhibit. What you write, what you post on social media, how you respond to those text messages, to those emails, to those direct messages, what you say in conversations, what you say in front of people. Be very, very careful about those things. So that's why, you know, go to disarmthenarc.com and grab my key phrases for disarming narcissists. You definitely want to do that. These are some cautions that I have for you. And and then the third reason why you want to be very careful about how you are responding and talking to a narcissist is because every single time you get baited, every single time you get dragged into the mud, that narcissist, as long as you're giving them supply, they're never, ever, ever going to leave you alone. They're never going to be gone because they're still getting that food. They're still getting that lifeblood. They're still getting that oxygen. So they're still going to come around. Three good reasons to use these key phrases for shutting down narcissists. Okay. So number one, you can say something like, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you feel that way. Now, be careful you don't say, I'm sorry, you know, or whatever, unless you are sorry, but you just say, I'm sorry you feel that way. I understand that that's what you think, you know, whatever, but I'm sorry that you feel that way. You're not saying anything really, you're just saying, I'm sorry that that's how you feel. It, it just basically kind of puts it back on them. That's how you feel. I get it. I'm sorry that's how you feel. And it just lets them know that I heard what you said and I acknowledge that that's what you said. I'm sorry that that's what you feel. Okay, that's number one. Number two is I have no control over the way you feel. I have no control over what your thoughts are. Again, you're acknowledging what they said. You're acknowledging that you heard what they said about their thoughts. And you're just saying, I have no control over what you think. Not saying that you agree. You're basically saying you you don't agree, but that you just don't 
have any control over what they think, nor do you wish to. Um, okay. And you have no control over the way you feel about me or this situation or what they think about anything. So that's number two. Number three uh, is your anger is not my responsibility. You can also say your triggers are not my responsibility because a lot of times they are trying to say that they're angry at you or they might say you trigger me, you make me angry, you know, all of those things. Their anger about things that you do or if you trigger them, it's not your responsibility. They have to be responsible for that. Just like if you are triggered about something, it's your responsibility to manage your anger, to manage your triggers, right? Each of us have to manage our own triggers, our own traumas, our own anger. That's our own responsibility to deal with, right? I mean, we have a choice about how we respond to situations. And that's on us. And so that's on them. And so you can just put that back on them. Your anger is not my responsibility. That's number three. Number four. Number four is one of my favorites. I love this one. Number four is, I agree, that's your opinion. Because you know what? You're basically not agreeing with a thing. But they often hear you say, I agree. So you're saying, I agree, that's what you think. I agree that I heard you say that. You aren't agreeing with a thing. But, you know, I agree that's what you said. I agree, that's your opinion. You know, I mean, I understand that that's what you feel. You know, you can you can say things like that, you know, that basically you're just acknowledging them, but you're not agreeing with the thing. You know, I hear you. I agree that that's what you feel. I understand, you know, things like that are all just acknowledging, but not really anything at all. Okay validating in some way. And that's really a lot of times all that people want. Number five is, I can see that you are. And you just insert the emotion. I can see that you are upset. I can see that you are angry. I can see that you are sad. You know, whatever it is, just articulate whatever the emotion is that you see them feeling. A lot of times what's crazy is that you'll say, I can see that you're angry. And they'll say, I'm not angry. But how is it that you're feeling? Because they'll be raging. And you'll say, I can see that you are angry about this. I'm not angry. Or they'll be screaming, yelling. I can see that this is upsetting to you. I'm not upset. 
you know, because when you call them out on their behavior, they'll be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not that. They don't want you to characterize their behavior in such a way. It's just kind of funny. But actually observe their behavior to them. That's number five. If you are so ready to slay you all of this, slay your communication, slay your negotiations. It's that's that's my what we do here. We slay strategy, leverage, anticipate, be two steps ahead of them, and focus on you, your case, your position, and slay everything with narcissists. All right, number six. Number six is another one that you can do. It's like, that's an interesting perspective. Hmm, that's an interesting perspective. Again, you're just kind of acknowledging. I can't tell you how many times hundreds of times a day i get emails from people that you know they're like you know what i just pulled out your phrases for shutting down narcissists i picked one and i emailed it back and it totally worked or i have a few memorized and i just pulled pulled one out you know used it totally worked so totally suggest that you do this hmm that's an interesting perspective So that's number six. And number seven, here's where you're going to really start to create some boundaries. All right. If you want a narcissist respect, start feeling the power. They respect people who stand up to them, who have some confidence. All right. Start to say things like, if you want to engage in a conversation with me, you're going to have to remain calm and not emotional. Or say something like, be factual, not emotional. You're going to have to speak to me in a way that's respectful. You know, there's certain things that are negotiable, contracts, issues, and terms. There's certain things that are not negotiable, and that's your self-respect. That's your self-worth. So don't allow them to speak to you in a way that's not respectful, okay? All right, so if you want to engage in a conversation with me, you're going to have to remain calm. You're going to have to speak to me in a way that's respectful. Just say something like that. Totally okay. And it's totally okay for you to go, okay, well, you know what? If you can't, then this conversation is over, period. And... Finally, the last one, you you know, if they say something that's just absolutely nuclear, not okay, you can just say, I'm choosing not to respond to that. And that's okay too. You know what? I'm choosing not to respond to that. Don't offend yourself, okay? When you defend yourself, you are giving credence to the other side. You're giving credence to their position. You make yourself look weaker, Never explain, justify, or overshare. So, (laughs) well, first of all, let's introduce you a little bit to the my community and talk a little bit about your background and with with narcissists. You you had some narcissists in your life growing up, and then you also married a narcissist. So, talk about that. Married and then dated. So during my marriage, I didn't know, or to my divorce, I didn't know what a narcissist was. Um, I actually learned about three years later after um, dating and being with someone who was pure evil. And um, that's how I learned. And 
I've been helping people. I started with like local groups in, and I just needed the support for myself. So I started groups and, you know, it was 10 people. Yay. And then it was 40 people. <laughs> I was like overwhelmed and, and I had two a month. So I was juggling so many people, sometimes up to 60 people a month in the groups. And I had started to learn. And then I got really tired of listening to the normal support group he did that. She did that. Bup, 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 bup. And I'm like, we have to heal. And I just started building, um, you know, information to help them get out from being stuck and and repeating the same story and and learn what was going to happen. And so it really started my career. Um, then I started coaching people, and I coach people all over the world. Last week I had someone in Jerusalem, Spain, Germany. Um, Dubai. It was like, what an international week. It's so cool. People are up in the middle of the night to talk to me. And um, I just love helping the survivors who just don't see a way out. And divorce is clearly, um, you know, a big part of my, my business here because I did write the book. And so that's kind of helped it explode, but I've always dealt with. And, you know, when I, I've run these support groups in online as well, you're traveling with a group of ladies or they're always ladies in these groups for, for, you know, eight months, nine months, you're watching what they've gone through. And so most of my book was written based on the experiences of thousands of people and what they have had happen to them and, and how to help themselves get out of it. Yeah. And you've been doing this work and helping people for like six decade now or something. About six years. Oh, six years. Okay. But it took you a long time to divorce a narcissist as well. How long was that? Um, it was a year of divorce and $100,000 in, in legal bills when we weren't fighting over our house or a kid or anything. It was just a nutsy divorce. Yeah. So you've been through it yourself. You've been helping people for years and you have a, a, a pretty large YouTube channel of your own. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, your own podcast, yes, which I've been fortunate enough to be on and um, as a guest as well. And you've been coaching people in this world for a long time. And so your book, you, it took like two and a half years or something like that to write. Yeah, it was, it was gathering the information. And then once I gathered it, like we had a, a form on my website, what tricks were pulled on you. And they would type out things in a little box that had no periods, no paragraphs, and and they were horrific, horrible, heart-wrenching stories, as you well know. And so um, we had to extract. We don't want to make a book that nobody wants to read or gets triggered by, but okay, bottom line, it was this much data. Okay, so when you caught home, the electricity was turned off. It was the bottom line of that one. So I wanted to make it to not have the electricity turned off. As soon as they move out, put the electricity in your name. I wanted to turn it into a tip based on what happened and how to how to autocorrect or prevent that from happening. Yeah, so what's great about your book is that you've got, it's, it's like the perfect combination of kind, of kind of like all the tips and tricks, but then you also have, you know, understanding the different types of narcissists in there. But then you also have like lists, which are like, okay, here's what to do. You know, exact lists, which are easy for people to kind of, okay, 
I now I know exactly what to do. You know, it's like simple because you know when you're in that, you know, mush brain, it's mm-hmm. like I need something easy, simple, like go to, you know, which I I, I think is really great. Um, you know, it, it, as far as that goes too, but it's also, you know, how to understand what it is that you're dealing with. That's why I I think the book is so great because it's kind of got everything that you need in there. And I put a lot of the emotional stuff. I have a whole chapter about the emotional like processing and dealing with fear. We start out of the gate with that because everyone's scared to death. So you have to learn to manage your fears or this process is going to run away and you're going to be a basket case. So you need your strength. So start with that. And then the whole book is mixed in with the emotions and and the, the legal stuff and how to hire a lawyer, how to get away, what you need to do. There's yeah. so many parts as well as how to heal in the end. Yeah. You actually have a whole uh, section just on triggers mm-hmm. and how to deal with your triggers. Talk about that. I love I love talking about triggers um, because most people, um, the, the narcissist knows exactly how to trigger you. They know what your weaknesses are, what buttons to push. That's a trigger. They push it. And so if you don't understand what your triggers are, which most people don't, they just know, oh, they just upset me. They, they react. They don't know, oh, that's what they always do. They don't know that that's how my body processes it. When I get triggered and it's anger, I do this. Well, how do you stop that? How do you realize that they're just poking you to get attention and to get your reaction so that when you can turn the dial down on the triggers, they don't have as much power to like destroy you when you are in that trigger land and it's one after another after another and the insults and the false allegations and all those things trigger you because you're not a bad parent. You didn't steal money. Whatever it is, they know what buttons to push because you will defend them. And while you're off defending all of these things that they've thrown at you that triggered you, they're off doing what their stuff. So you're so busy, they're distracting you. And um, it really helps to take control of them as early as possible. So... I had a client one time when I was still practicing that she would call me up and tell me all the things that her soon-to-be expert was doing constantly. And you have something called my dumbass theory, (laughs) which I think is so great. And um, she, she would call me up and say, can you believe that he did this? Can you believe that he did that? And, you know, one of the ones that I remember specifically was he would, she said that in, you know, drop off, that, that she happened to see him in drop off at, at Carline in the morning. And can you believe that he did this, this, and this? And I remember specifically one time saying to her, yes, I can. What I can't believe is that you can't believe it because he always acts like that. (laughs) So talk about my dumbass theory. Well, I actually have a dumbass card, (laughs) dumbass dude on it. And, um, the, the reason I, I, I talk about the dumbass theory, A, I named it after my ex-husband, which happened to be appropriate. But um, what we have to realize is that they're going to do the things that they do. 
that shock impact, again, that's what they're doing when they're triggering us. It's boom, boom, boom. I can't believe it. Oh my God, oh my God. Instead, though, of course, they're going to do that. Of course, they're going to go after you as a parent. They don't want to pay you as much money. Of course, they're going to do this. When you have it in your 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 pocket that you see what they're doing, it takes a lot of the sting out of it, right? You can get more less emotional and more reactive to, okay, this is our next strategy. When they do this, we can do this because you didn't let it take you down like the client you just described. I get those clients every day too. And it's just like, oh my God, oh my God. And you're like, okay, but can he do that last week? We have to learn to expect it. And and then it's not as shocking. It's that shock that triggers you. And then it takes you off the rails for what you really have to do. So the dumbass theory was developed and people like walk into court, like walking and they're so scared to see their ex. And they've told me afterwards, I walked in and I just kept going, dumbass, 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 dumbass. And they just go, every time I looked over there, I wasn't scared anymore, Tracy. I just saw this big dumbass. I envisioned him and, and it didn't scare me anymore because it took away his power or their, her power, right? It took away the power because you're belittling it to something that is not this giant monster. It is like just a little dumbass. That's why I picked this little dude. He's cute, right? It's just, it's a, it's a nothing. It's a buzzing mosquito. You have to learn to see what they are doing things for and not necessarily what they're doing, but okay, they just got a reaction. That's supply. They won. You know, if you can turn the dial down on letting those things get to you, you're much more powerful in court. Yeah. Another thing that you have in the book, which I thought was so brilliant, was the the idea of the rich person and the poor person. Mm-hmm. That was so, so brilliant. Um, you know, one of the things that um, I have done surveys in my um, Facebook group before, and one of the surveys came up about how much more money is spent on divorcing a narcissist mm-hmm. than a regular person. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost four times as much, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and how much longer it takes to divorce a narcissist yes. than a regular reasonable person. And so you've got this whole idea of, you know, the difference between divorcing a person who has money than divorcing a person who does not. Talk about that. Sure. So what I find with my clients as well as as my $100,000 divorce that did not need to be that, we were fighting over 25. I mean, come on. Um, was when people have money, they use it to manipulate you using the court system, right? It's it's false allegations. It's calling, you know, child protective services. It's doing the really, really ugly things like having you arrested. Oh, now see, look, there's proof that they're a bad parent because I had them arrested, right? They will go to any lengths. They're they're like rabid dogs. They've got the money and they would rather spend all the money on fighting you than giving you one red penny. So it has to be clear and understood that they aren't going away and that you have to learn to live with certain things after post-divorce that you know are, are they're just going to keep bringing you back to court and bringing you back to court. When you understand that and you get the more strategies to deal with what things are important, what to react to, what not to react to, then you're much more powerful. And so I have had so many clients. I had one this morning. Um, 
And yesterday on a Sunday, um, she's got court on Thursday. Seven years they've been going through a divorce. Seven years of custody battles, ugliness, accusations. And she's been through 15 lawyers and now she's representing herself. He's a, a very, very wealthy man and he uses his power as a weapon. He uses his money as a weapon. Doctors, lawyers, I mean, God help someone who's married to a lawyer who decides to litigate for themselves. They will say no to every single thing that you're looking for. And so knowing that someone with money is going to do this. It's again, kind of the dumbass. Of course they are. They've got money. They're going to use it as a weapon, right? You have to understand that. And again, knowing the strategies to make sure you're getting your fair share of the pie. Well, I mean, the reason why is because they get supply from that. I mean, and so you have to understand what I teach, which is that you have to find a way to potentially expose them. You have to create that leverage. Mm -hmm. And um, if you don't, then they're going to continue to try to get that supply from jerking you around. And, and and because they'd rather, the, the, the myth is that they want to win. Mm -hmm. That's the myth. Because they don't just want to win. They Winning want. only takes into account the the what I call diamond level supply, which is how they look. It, it completely discounts what I call coal level supply, which is the jerking you around form of supply. Because they they'll 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 take that jerking you around form of supply forever. Forever. And they will spend they will spend that money as long as they need to to get that coal level supply. Forever, Absolutely. forever. Um, they'd, they'd rather spend the money. I mean, I actually had a narcissist client who, and this is before I understood narcissism because 99% lawyer, of lawyers do not understand narcissism. I didn't until I had to deal with a narcissist my, in my personal life, you know, three years ago. And then I started understanding narcissism and developed this program and everything. And, but, I had a narcissist client say to me, as a lawyer, I'd rather pay you than her. Mm. And, and if I had understood narcissism at that time, I would have understood what was going on. Yeah. And, and I remember saying to him at the time, not knowing what was going on as the lawyer, thinking to myself, I don't need you to pay for my kid's college. You know, my kid was like 10 at the time. <laughs> I, I remember thinking like, I'd rather have other clients. Like, you're, I'm sick of you. Like as the client, as the lawyer, like mm -hmm. I was sick of that client at that point. Right. You know, like, ugh. you know, like as the lawyer, you get sick of that particular client, you know, like that people don't realize that. People think, oh, you know, lawyers just want the cases to go on forever or whatever. But, mm -hmm. you know, there are other clients. It's boring. It's like if there's no challenge, it's just motion, motion, oh, motion. Oh, not just that, but those clients are a pain in the neck too. Yeah. High demand and, and yeah, they, they have this sense of entitlement that is elevated above everything else. Yeah. Because of their money puts them in a place that 
they will do anything and not blink twice with it. And they want you to do whatever they want. I mean, that particular client would want me to do things that I didn't want to do and and would try to goad me into it. And I'd be like, I'm not doing that. And he'd say, oh, you're going to be lonely in heaven, Rebecca. And, you know, things like that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's not goading me into it. And, you know, thing, you know, but... Like, so it's not fun for the lawyer either. No, and they have specific strategies. I mean, they are, you know, changing lawyers. They are making these attacks. They are calling those social services on you. They are having you arrested. They are just in a place where nothing is, there's no limit. So for someone to call Child Protective Services 15 times on their spouse is ridiculous. You know, like they they were all proven nothing happened, but they're just going to keep doing it because it disrupts it. And then they walk in with a piece of paper to the court to say, look, she's not good. He's not that. And that's why you have to create that strategy that potentially exposes their look. Yeah. That is the only thing that works. Yeah. It does work. Yeah. It's finding it. It's looking through what you've got, what's valuable, and and knowing how to to use it and when. Yes. And so that's why I want to go to, um, you talk about um, documentation. So talk Mm -hmm. about that. Um, Well, documenting everything is absolutely vital. Um, Putting together information that of their if it's if parenting and you've got parenting information pulling together things that will contradict what they are telling the court you know they're out there I'm a great mother or father and you go but they don't want their kids you know they're, they don't even want them when they have them they give them back or they don't show up coming to the court with that kind of proof is going to help like show them as a liar and show them that that you know no matter how good they look on paper that they are lying your evidence and your documentation is vital and if they're not picking up the kids or being late all the time or just not paying you what they're supposed to pay you or paying the child's bills these things need to be brought into the court so documenting and pulling all that together is vital Yeah, and you do um, talk about that in your book too, which is really, really great. Um, And you also have a journal available to go along with your book. So talk about that. Let me see if I have it. Um, It's somewhere back there. I have 26 journals now. So I created um, something called targeted healing journals. So there's some to track things. Some is documenting abuse documenting your divorce stuff, um, documenting family crazy. And then there's other things like healing from fear, learning to trust again. And they've got all these like great instructions and then all the blank pages. Like there's nine pages of instructions. Now you follow this and you'll debug your fear. You'll understand that. So um, I do have the divorce tracking. It's back there in the pile. So I can't pull it out. I should have known you were going to do it. I forgot. Um, but, but it is, um, vital. Just have something with you. And of course, a lot of this might be better to take out of a journal and put it into, um, something that you can turn over to the judge and your lawyers. But at first you're in the school parking lot and they're not showing up or there's a conflict or this, you've got the journal, write it down because trust me, the day's going to go by, you're going to forget. And then you're in court and 
some people say, oh, your people are over-documenting everything. Well, guess what? If If it happened and you don't have it recorded, it's nothing. If you have it recorded and you didn't need it, you don't know if it's the 15th time they've done that. Now it means something. You don't know. So document it. And I have all the things of all the different ideas for what you want to document in the book. Yeah, yeah, I, it's fantastic. Um, and you also talk about um, how you know you can sort of profile people. Um, talk about that. I thought that was really fascinating. Um, profile the narcissist. Yeah, like I, I, I really thought that was really fascinating. How you were, um, you know. How you can like um, kind of predict like if somebody's a salesperson? Oh yes, you know, okay. like yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So again, based on 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 what they do, like we talked about the lawyers, they litigate. Lawyers litigate, even if they're not a divorce attorney, they know. So they, they, you know, you have to understand if they are a salesperson, they're going to be charming. They're already charming. They're going to be charming the judge. Um, you know, if they are, um, I don't even remember all the things I wrote. <laughs> That's a hard one, but it is about understanding who the players are and what they're capable of. Because again, Lawyers are going to litigate, you know, salesmen are going to do this. People who are going to be more annoying and more dangerous in the courtroom have careers that maybe make them feel more entitled and and make them feel like they can get away with things. So those things are very important to understand who the players are in in the world. But I just think is so um, helpful is just just understanding that you're not going crazy, you know, just because you just feel like you're going crazy and just be being able to read a book like this and go, okay, this is, I'm not crazy. You know, I mean, the stuff that's going on in my home mm-hmm. is the, it, the stuff that's real, you know? I mean, and, you know, to hear the stories and, and they're mixed in through the story and we call them all Sir Thrivers. Um, you know, this is someone wrote that and, and you're like, okay, that happened to me. And um, no matter what it is, you know, we talk about the arrests. I, I made some memes on Instagram the other day and all these people are like, I was arrested too. I was arrested yes. too. Yes. Oh my God. They use that all the time, of all course. Time. So to know that, you know, it shames people. And so it, it, again, it puts you down in a place of not even being able to defend yourself because you're just shocked that your spouse that you slept next to for 10 years has just thrown you in jail. So yeah, yeah. You're capable of that, but also seeing that's not that uncommon. And so it's just a tactic takes away a lot of the personal shame and guilt and fear inside of you. So hearing those things really help people. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation 
prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Slayers, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast I'm excited about, Creating Confidence, hosted by Heather Monahan, a part of the Yap Media Network. Heather sits down with experts like Gary Vee, Sarah Blakely, and Les Brown to share with you techniques and strategies to create your confidence, pursue your dreams, and leapfrog villains you'll meet along the way. Creating confidence is about elevating your confidence to the highest level ever and take your business right there with you. Don't believe me? I'm going to share some of the amazing reviews that I've seen on Apple. Here's one. Heather has the perfect gems of wisdom that not only inspire you, but motivate you into action. I recommend it to anyone who wants to elevate their reach and go to that next level. How about that? That's amazing. Here's another one. Heather is so inspiring, and each episode is filled with tips and tricks on how to become more confident and live the life of your dreams. So if you are looking to level up your confidence, check out Creating Confidence now. Subscribe to Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is.